Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. y'all that was a quite a uh i can't really tell if i turn the sound off correctly i'm just gonna x out of everything <laughs> um hey everybody what's up welcome to thug crowd welcome welcome uh, we're gonna talk about chinese chips and bullshit <laughs> <laughs> hello everybody um yeah welcome to another How of thug crowd um we are we out here? Everything? How's everyone doing today? Anyone do anything cool this weekend? I made good progress with Zigbee uh, modules. That's a lot of fun. Oh hell yeah! Hung out with a group of eight girls. That was great. You know, just just you know, clung on to a ladies' night and had a good time. That's awesome. <laughs> nah, I've been working on the uh, the. Uh, microcontroller I was speaking about that I'll probably release docs on I don't know later this week. Nice. I stepped on a I stepped on a USB drive and uh, broke its case, and I discovered that it's bad USB compatible. So thanks, China. <laughs> I think that's this generation's Legos. Um, yeah, no, it's been it's been a, a wild week. Uh, I still don't have a. No, 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 no. You, what did you do this weekend, man? Yeah, what did you, you do? I've been uh, I've been on call and uh, I've had to, to deal with a bunch of things. Trying to deal mainly with getting a new router. Uh, hopefully, I'll get one soon, so I don't have to stream off of multiple phone hotspots. Um, and yeah, hopefully that'll so. be awesome. Hey, what? Hopefully you don't have any backdoors and hardware embeddings. Yeah, I'm hoping. I, I just want to – I'm in like a, a, a place where there's very different style of, of how they uh, deliver internet. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm um, excited to see what they say when the telco people finally come around. DSL versus uh, cable or what? What do you got? Uh, we got a token ring network. Uh, we're all – we have a bunch of thin clients. Everybody in the uh, town is – is given a thin client that connects to this mainframe, and that's how we all get on Facebook. Dang, you better not disconnect. You're gonna screw up your neighbors doing that. Dude, I know, like, right? Unless you're trolling on online, that's Facebook. What? Fantastic. Everybody gets on Facebook. 
Yeah, that's the only site we're allowed to have is the new uh, anti-net neutrality laws uh, make it so that we only are allowed to access Facebook. The CFO owns stock in it. I'm just kidding. Okay. Amazing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so um, I have an exciting announcement for everybody here. Um, so we've been working on this for a little bit. We've had to consult with many people and figure out the best way to do this. But the parent organization, the shadow government, uh, or shadow, uh, what is it, NGO that runs Thug Crowd is um, releasing a cert. Uh, and I'll just put it on the screen now. So we got a cert that is for the top tier internet shit posters for information security, of which there are many. Can I pronounce it? Can I pronounce it? Um, yeah, go for it. It's the CL lowercase SSP. Yes. So the International Information Security Shitposter Certification Consortium has, you know, graced us with the ability to offer the C lowercase L SSP cert for everybody who is a Patreon supporter and anybody who is an active contributor to the Thug Crowd podcast. So we have this lowercase l, which is a very, very legally distinct uh, piece of, uh, uh, I guess, certification education that you can get if you are um, a member of Thug Crowd or if you are a supporter of us. Um, so yeah, it's valid. You can put it on LinkedIn. Just make sure you don't capitalize the L when you put it in your LinkedIn or your email signature. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. So the way that you can do this is if you go to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash thug crowd. And that is how you, if you are a $10 or more supporter, you will be able to get one of these shipped to you. Um, they're very high quality. They're all serialized with some pretty nice uh, stamps and you know, OCR, everything. We actually have an embosser that's on the way here, as well as some tamper-evident seals so nobody can uh, can uh, unlock this on you and steal it from you. Um, so, yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, so the, the, yeah, the, the thing is, is, is it's the Certified Lowercase L uh, Security Shitposting Professional is the official definition of this. And so... Um, you know, if you also, anybody who does anything that we think is really cool, we'll also probably give these out to them as well. I thought it so, yeah, I think... like certified lowercase security ship poster. Wait, what? Say that again? I thought it was actually the certified lowercase security ship poster certification. Uh, it can go however you want to. Um, you gotta just, you know, if somebody asks you, you gotta tell them the official definition. Um, that's the only caveat to using this. Um, you have to say it out loud, too, and look them right in the eye when you say what it means. So just make sure that you do everything over email, I guess, and make sure that nobody has access to a hex editor or a monospaced font. It's already created yeah. drama with the InfoSec community, so you know it's legit. Just, just saying. I actually yeah. Wait, love, so uh, during, during the week when we had somebody uh, claim that, you know, they were a CIS, CISSP, but they were not able to distinguish the lowercase l um on twitter um you know shout out to that guy for uh sticking with it but um i think you should yeah learn to use a, a hex editor if you are going to get a sysp yeah he'll come around you just got in the bad foot with him <laughs> so, shout out 
So, so Abyss in the chat says, uh, wait, I could make this in Photoshop and print it out for free. Well, there are a number of security measures put into this certification to prevent... Yeah, there's obviously a serial code that works. So there's a serial code. There is also, there will be tamper evidence seals that are going to be shipped here um, shortly, as well as a custom embosser and a number of other tamper evident things that will not be able to be reversed. Um, also, since we have the only homograph attack on this cert um, that is not noticeable, uh, you probably won't be able to create an additional homograph. But if you can, then you will win a C lowercase l SSP. So prove me wrong. Oh, man. Yeah. No, 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 no. I want to know if the serials are tied to a Twitter handle at every point. Um, serials are base64 encoded and with the full name and address of everybody who gets this. So then they're stored on um, Windows Server 2003 with Service Pack 1. <laughs> yes, also, it can shred itself um, uh, when it's <laughs> trying to profit off of this besides us. So, yeah. So if I take um, this to an auction and try to sell it, it will self-shred, you say? You won't even be able to get it in the car. You, as soon as you put it wherever you mount it, it stays there and it goes with the building. So, wow, yeah, actually, it's like an anchor. Infosec's gonna hate this. It's actually the uh, the frequency of, of the machine that you know, you know the emissions from the machine that you're using. If that ever goes away, it shreds. That's it. Yeah, it's like a proximity it's, sensor. It's the first, this is the first super sport cert. Like, let's be honest yeah. here. This full blast, yeah. like you're in the fucking game. Go ahead and post with the bitch. Maybe yeah. we could bi biometrically fingerprint the owner, and if it gets within a certain distance away from them, it just shreds. Does this guy have a beeper with triple A's in it? Is it legit? Is there two factor identification? Uh, I must know to get phone numbers for advertising purposes. <laughs> We are, we're uh, this is a, this is a great cert, and I'm just I'm really excited that the International Information Security or Information Security Shit Posting Certification Consortium has allowed us to uh, release this because they have been in the works trying to breed the best shit posters online, um, who are able to talk the talk and walk the walk. It's a practical cert, so um, it's you know, a very you select, a very small group of people are able to do do those things. It's a very select and elite group of people. Very it's true. Just very, very buy. You can't just buy. That's not true. It's just like every other yeah. six You just gotta buy it. You can't just buy it. You can't just pay yeah, somebody no. to take the test. You can't pay deal. somebody else to watch our to watch our stream. No, I can pay you way. for it. Can I? Well, they can no. come to our boot camp, right? Yes. So we have a coding boot camp as well. Uh, it's basically just uh, advanced copy pastas and other stuff. So. Um, so, all right, let's, uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I will post more information about this, but again, if you go to, I'll just type it, uh, if you look in our show notes, it's in there as well, but it's patreon.com forward slash thug crowd. If you are a one month supporter, you will get this certificate, certificate mailed to you or whatever address you supply us. And yes, it'll be signed, um, by me the official uh or actually by the official cert authority or you can get the self-signed option if you would so like 
Um, you can sign it yourself. So either way. Um, all right, we should get this into the a, news. It's a real game changer, though. Is, uh, is, is LinkedIn aware of this? Is the InfoSec um, prepared for such a game changer? This is the very first of all mention of this cert so this was this is wow. the debut of it uh i'll be posting the information about it on twitter later um but i wanted to keep it exclusive to the stream so if anybody has any questions about it they can hit us up here on twitter or on patreon or if you see the post later uh you can obviously talk about it now you can uh, anybody can claim that they are c lowercase l ssp but sometimes you may have to uh, produce documentation depending on there's a lot of custom stuff and other things that you might have to go through to be able to prove who that you are who you are with this cert. So just letting you know, everybody has a heads up. Everybody's got a number. Yes. So um, <laughs> let's get right into the news here. We got uh, I posted the show notes, right? Yeah, some great ASCII art. That's all I saw. ASCII. Oh. Yes, the showstopper. Oh, there we go. Thanks, uh, DNZ. <laughs> Updating my LinkedIn right now. Um, yes, and also, if you're handicapped and cannot walk the walk, you can still get the cert. You can do whatever you can. You just got to move it in some way. Um, all right, so yeah, let's get into the uh, news here. So the first two stories we have are some of the things. So the first one is about the GRU officers that were indicted. There's a bunch of GRU-related uh, lately, <laughs> and so uh, yeah. Does anybody have any uh, thoughts on this stuff? This is just me. Is Russia saying like they're fucking up? Like this fucking up more and more. Yeah, honestly. Well, what are you gonna do about us? I mean, they've obviously gotten a hold of Bloomberg. I think. Yep. The thing is, like the the Olympics, like they give that much of a shit about the like the doping scandal in the Olympics. Like, come on, like what? Then they have better things to do than worry about like Olympic doping scandals. Well, I feel like the the Olympic doping scandal thing was a huge part of this, but this is also just as many other sort of organized crime um, level things when they have to actually go after people that are involved in them, they're usually going after them for something that they know that they can pin on them to be able to then get them for other things that they are involved in. Because they're clearly involved in a bunch of shady, shady business. So this is one thing that was very clear that they had done with the Olympic stuff. And yeah, I feel like it's just the, their way in to probably be able to get more questioning for them. Wasn't there one guy who was uh, found on a dating site? Yeah, so all the OPSEC stuff, I was, I was wondering about that. I was reading a bunch of things, but I couldn't find too many exact links to certain things that weren't just blogs. Um, so that's why I just put the FBI.gov uh, story in here. Yeah, I, I did recall reading one article this week that was, uh, it, it showed, you know, uh, his dating profile and then like his passport and like it was 100, it was like the same person in the photo at least um that was pretty funny yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like that it's just 
it's only really a matter of time till somebody finally gets a hold of people who did certain things. And it's just, it's, it's hard to stay advanced and persistent for too long, you know? <laughs> um, you know, as he struggles under his own breath. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so the, next, the next thing, uh, the next headline here, Russian banana stand hit with a flamey boy. Uh, this is the uh, Internet Research Agency. This is the, uh, or not the Internet Research Agency. This is the, what are they called? The Federal News Agency. Um, which one are they? There's so many different acronyms. and One of them is Federal News Agency, and then it's referred to as the FAN. Uh, either way, <laughs> um, the Russian troll farm was hit with a Molotov cocktail. I, I just love this. Clearly Russian the troll Russians. Farms. They're the only ones who use the Molotovs. It's in their name. They invented it. Clearly, they invented the Molotov. It had to be. They invented hot cocktails. But, like, imagine working at the Russian troll farm. Like, what, what do you Dude, do? Like, their stuff spicy. That? What are you going to say about that? Like, yeah. their stuff hot and spicy. And it's make memes all day. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty, like, it, it's definitely very sketchy. I mean, I could see why somebody would be mad at them, but I could also see why they would just get rid of it. It's just a way to get rid of evidence. Yeah, definitely. That of destruction with a fire. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, it's very interesting, though, that this is, as things are closing in on some other peoples, they are going away. Um, now, the... F- Next story that we have here is the one that's kind of just been all over the place because everybody's been talking about it and it's there's so much contention about it and it's been it's it's actually weird it's like kind of leaked onto so many other uh, news outlets for I guess regular people and outside of the infosec circles um, about the super micro uh, hardware implant story by uh, Bloomberg. So now, where does it stand right now? <laughs> That was posting the same thing. Um, I can't remember what it was, but it was a leading news outlet. I don't know. I think you take this moment in time to like split what you follow and what you don't. In my opinion, there's a couple news outlets that were um, talking about that. Um, I know Bloomberg, and I think The Verge said something about it at one point. It all seems to spawn back to the Bloomberg stuff, though, and a bunch of researchers on Twitter were kind of like, like you know, the Grok and, um, you know, Snare put out some old bad BIOS-type uh, memes again. Um, basically, like, my understanding is that there was, it was a big hype story and there wasn't a whole lot of tech to back it. Um, some of the supply chain stuff that did come out of it, though, was, like, super micro boxes being shipped with, uh, old firmware on like Ethernet cards and stuff like that that were vulnerable, um, and then the the companies that investigated it being like Amazon, Google, Facebook, etc. And <laughs> anybody who was buying them um, were basically saying that, like we flash them before they even go in the DC. So lol, like you know they get the latest firmware updates. See, he just answered my question before he even fucking asked it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we they can't exactly come out and say. Uh, yeah, actually, we found those like two years ago, and we've been looking at them for two years. Um, sorry, we didn't mention it to anybody. Like, uh, I don't think you'll ever hear like like a Five Eyes Nation come out and say that, or any of their friendly friendly companies. So it's kind of what I expected. Um, like 
major players and the US and uh, UK and I guess Australia, if asked, will say, um, well, we, we, we didn't really uh, have that issue with those devices getting into our networks, but we take these things seriously. And that's yeah. about it. That's all I can really... There was some other research that showed that um, there were cases of uh, like SOIC 8 chips being dangerously close to sensitive buses. Uh, and when I say sensitive buses, I mean like ITC and, and SPI that is on the, uh, that is between the motherboard and the BMC, the, the outer band controller. Um, so yeah. like, you know, whatever, KVM, ILO, whatever you want to, whichever technology you want to name it. Um, and so that is pretty dangerous because those those chips, you know, they have um, VGA redirection for the, the console port of a network. You can mount virtual disks. You can do all kinds of stuff. Um, so if there if there was something on that on that bus, that is a, a very dangerous place to have it. But um, if you have a look at the actual BMCs themselves and the firmware they run, uh, the ones that I've looked at have been stripped down Linux. Like it's not they're running Dropbear for SSH, and it, you know it's your basic IoT attacks on a different network interface that um, will get you there. So once you have that, you win anyway. Do they really need to go to the you know effort of this well, uh, secret capacitor that turns out to be a microcontroller? It seems a bit ham-fisted because um, the best backdoors are bugs that like are, are flaws that you can go, oops, whoopsie-daisy, how did that get there? We'll no, fix it immediately. like that time that Cisco and Juniper both had like... Uh, Buffer overflows in like V2 phase one. Uh, yeah, amongst many other times uh, that that applies. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think I think like having a literal hard firmware, sorry, actual physical backdoor that can be spotted as a device uh, is not really how people do things. Like maybe they did 10, 15 years ago, but. Well, the NSA um, did have it in there um, when they were intercepting uh, the Cisco routers in the but through the United States Postal Service where they were implanting backdoors, and but they yeah. were visually visually um, you know identifiable. Yeah. And and what's the burn date on those? Two thousand and twelve. Right. So, yeah, I don't I don't really think uh, I just think it's a bit ham fisted. I mean, it seems impressive, and the technology is impressive. Uh, but the execution, eh. yeah. I mean, I I don't know. The thing that that is kind of when I first saw this story, I was just it was just reminding me of like you know the details about the NSA backdooring things in transit. You know, like uh, hardware, like actual hardware backdoors they developed to you know, yeah. target specific. And so, it, I mean, you have to like, have a level of deniability about it, right? And, and putting like mm -hmm. a chip on a device that's like a memory chip, and then people, someone eventually reverse engineers it and goes, What the fuck is this? Um, yeah, kind of the opposite of what you want. <laughs> like, um, yeah. you, you can get I mean, away with it for a while. Like, for if you were you, if you wanted to, to target somebody and you were just a small business, for example, and, and the likelihood of them having someone with the capability to reverse engineer the firmware of an unknown piece of hardware on staff yeah. or to even notice it in the first place is very, very small. But you're not going to do that against like an Apple who actually have people on board who do that all day long in theory. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for, for like physical implant hardware, 
think it'd be mm-hmm. small targeted targeted situation, very small targeted mm-hmm. situations, not entire nation states or defense departments or Apple. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I mean, you saw, but there was like another article posted that was like pointing at the Pentagon for like um, system defense and for nation state security. Fucking weird. I think um, uh, uh, I think another thing that's interesting is uh, <clears throat> uh, that uh, by saying that there's a physical implant, what they're uh, what they're really saying is the level of proof now. Uh, and uh, in, in a lot of cases, uh, many, many times, I'm sorry, uh, uh, we forget the things that happened just last week or just last weekend that uh, uh that we just uh just kind of lumped that onto that big dumpster fire that is infosec uh in 2018 uh but uh, <clears throat> the question now is uh does anyone have one of those rice chips because already our curiosity uh, has uh, uh uh has had identification of the the chip that was the stand-in for the pencil picture uh but but, but but we all want to know where is one of uh, one of those actual physical Im- implants. So we've left wow. uh, we left the whole burden of proof to show me. Uh, you know, it's a it's kind of a POC or get out. Where exactly. uh, does anyone have an implant? Uh, well, we should be asking around for one. And the and the strange thing is is that uh, they will now exist. They will soon exist if we can't yeah, get an actual hands on uh, the actual super micro one. Um, yeah, here's what should be a proof of concept. Go ahead and prove it and make your hot shit. That's how right. it works. I'm looking at MD yeah. real quick about that. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is definitely, though, one of the things we, we talked about a lot, which is supply chain attacks. Supply chain attacks are a thing. They are very much a reality, and there people have every incentive in the world to backdoor even one server. Imagine having one firmware-level backdoor on a blade in Amazon. Or any big tech company, you yeah. you have to do quite a bit, you know. And it's just it, it's the same thing as I say, you know, if in 2010 and before we could develop Stuxnet, I mean, who knows what's what's possible at this point now, you know. And and the fact that people are, you know, you just have to have the motivation, and the motivation is pretty high, especially for corporate espionage, especially for targeting, you know, dissidents and you know, uh, yeah. actual nation-state warfare. I'm not saying that this is necessarily true. I'd love to see whatever this thing is, but it's just a matter of, like, there is an incentive. This has already been proven to have happened in multiple other scenarios carried out by our government in America, and that's just a thing that we know about. But, um, yeah. I wanted to know, MG, what do you think about, about this specifically? Do you think that there would be any microcontroller that's die would be as small as a surface mount capacitor that would be able to get not only interfaced into a server board but be able to actually do it effectively either whether or not it was a covert um implant or if it was planned at the factory yeah definitely so uh at that size uh, they kind of made it seem like uh something that small would effectively be a full computer which is fucking ridiculous but um, there, there's very likely components that do certain um, manipulations. And if you put that between other components on the board in the right way, yeah, sure, you could probably hit some sort yeah. of creative, uh, creative pathway. Are you thinking but, like, uh, a, like a reflector, like a reflector implant that, that, that 
oscillates at a certain frequency and then you have to have a, a van nearby it picks it up from 100 meters yeah, away you know so, something like that would definitely be incredibly small but there's um I, I don't actually know a whole lot in terms of viable uh, compromises here but may, maybe just something to to trigger some side channel bullshit on a chip with a known vulnerability things like that how small, can get, how small can we get like a like a a 3G GSM kind of radio thing. How small do they get? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, that, that I don't think we're going to get down to a chip, but, you know, maybe, maybe people who have a lot more money and uh, cutting-edge research than I do uh, know better. Um, okay. there, there was a Bluetooth module. How, how small is, uh, is the smallest, like, BLE module? I, I haven't even looked at that. Everything I know of is pretty fucking big compared to, you know, a 0.3 millimeter by 0.3 millimeter fucking surface mount. Well, we know we can get like NFC down to like a, you know, <laughs> RFID is like microtic sizes. I don't even know the word for it. But oh, yeah, we definitely. Get, uh, we can get something to vibrate and pick it up and transfer data uh, at very close proximity, um, very small, very cheaply. And if you definitely. scale it up, yeah, maybe you can get something that that's a radio that speaks. Uh, it, range like it is, it's very, it's very. Um, the speed that the bus is traveling is going to be much faster than the speed you're going to be able to transmit. So, having it yeah. also do modulation in real time is going to be very difficult. Um, the, yep. And also, the chip that they said that they originally it was found in was a passive component, a passive capacitor. Uh, so you've only got. You've only got a, you've only got an IO. Like there's there's one side for you know current to come in and one side for current to come out. Whereas yeah. these microcontrollers that we're talking about, you need a minimum you know what six pins um, and it, you know one's ground and yeah exactly so the actual you need extra traces on the board and able to just hook the fucking thing up. Like you can't just go like oh it was just inside just the current like that's it and that's not happening. Now, yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't necessarily need to be a standalone thing. Like it could be in conjunction with some other glitch or some other uh, software, even. Um, and and you just glitch and it, it reflects at a certain frequency. I don't know where I'm going yeah. with this, but uh, I, I'm trying to think instead of like system of a chip on a chip or, or anything complex at all. I'm thinking very very simple um, emissions creating device. Uh, like traditional yeah. spying. That, that's like the RF retro reflectors that are in like the NSA toolkit and the playset and everything. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty so, small. So they, on, they, they on that like... line of thought, the um, I, I agree generally with you. Need, you need multiple pathways on the board, which goes way beyond just raw implants, like we see in you know the NSA toolkit. But you know, if you're working at the electrical system, things do leak uh, via the power pathways. I mean, back with the old mechanical keyboards, you could just tap into somebody's power main and effectively pick up what they were typing as a result of that, um, yeah, so yeah. just by analyzing that. So maybe if you were aware of the specific well, components like on the board. What about those attacks that, that got published recently that were able to recover, recover like a key based on emissions from some hardware component while it was decrypting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget. Yeah. So if if you're combining, like, if if all you're going after is like a private key on a server, for example, then yeah. Um, and and you're going to to capture that emission somehow, 
and retransmit it somewhere else. Um, that could be pretty yeah, cool. definitely. I, I think the insinuation with this setup was that I correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't read the full thing, but it seems like all this was supposed to be kicking off over like a network card that it was actively using somehow. Is that true? Uh, well, the, the thing that came out later was that the the firmware of those NICs were, were uh, out of date and vulnerable. So I don't know if oh, it was okay. in conjunction or a separate thing that was found during the study. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect there's some truth buried within here and a lot got lost. There's a really Really interesting thing that it's definitely worth knowing. A lot of the interesting technical details that supposedly supported this um, came from an interview with Joe Fitz. And Joe Fitz basically um, has now come out and saying, "Hey, I did an interview with these guys. I said this story makes no sense, and, you know, and here's why." But then he went on to say, "If I were to do this, or you know, let's approach it from a theoretical how, in general, you could do hardware implants." He then, you know, explained all that. And that explanation is what they seem to have taken it, put it into the article saying, this is how it works, which is really yeah. interesting because uh, that's, that's kind of jacked up. I mean, if you wanted to do this sort of research yourself, by the way, like if you wanted to see what you could do really cheaply and easily and sort of get started on this uh, implant style stuff, um, go down and buy a, like, buy a Raspberry Pi. As much as I hate Pies and I think they're pieces of shit, they do have an SPI interface. They do have a JTAG interface. They have some other shit. And um, it's... They're good CTF boxes. Yeah, and, and you yeah. can... Uh, yeah, you, you can start trying to interface, you know, with that uh, cheap hardware. And if you break it, it doesn't matter. So just, yeah, go for it. Grab yourself, you know, a bus pirate and a Raspberry Pi and start trying to bit bang on SPI until you get somewhere. Yeah, that's, a good, that's good advice. Um, how much do you think that would start up cost you if you were to buy a Pi or a Pi Zero and a Bus Pirate? And uh, maybe one other thing that you need to... Bus what? Pirate V3, a bunch of hookup cables, and maybe a breadboard, some resistors, and, uh, you know, we're talking... And, and the Pi itself, like, 40 bucks, maybe. I yeah. mean, you're not, you're not going to get it down to the size of a grain of rice, for sure, but, you know, you're going you're gonna to start somewhere. until we get the evidence uh because someone will actually give us uh, our, uh or or at least will accept some level of it's too classified for you to see it but we, we verify that there is such a thing it'll always be a guess uh, a guess uh, a guessing game of how it is that we think we can fit it into that uh that little tiny chip uh, yeah. uh so uh it, it, uh i think that we can all agree that it's little uh, and uh, that they couldn't, they, uh, that they didn't have a picture of it next next to a pencil. Uh, and at this point, we have denials from major corporations. Uh, we have accusations from uh, uh, from the, uh, from the press. So, uh, where where does anyone have one on a board? Has anyone found one? Uh, this is something that was supposed to have already uh, happened. I think it, if if it is indeed uh, something that that uh, was discovered. Um, in uh, sensitive environments, um, then ho hopefully only the, the right people have their hands on it at the moment and it's not just a free-for-all. And in a couple of years from now, maybe people will actually find the thing that they were talking about. Yeah, um, I think If it is that sensitive, 
if it's if it's not that sensitive and, and we can just take it as at face value um, and if Apple says no and the US government says no it's not, a, not an issue then just move on <laughs> wait for the, the amateurs to catch up if you did have one right if you, you had this um, magical chip that you've discovered and you or you think that you have it and that was that, that was supposed to already be deployed not uh, so somebody already was supposed to have solved this and deployed it yeah. into supply chain. Uh, any day now, then there should be pictures of it on Twitter. Somebody going, hey, I found it. Here it is. Uh, is like, but if you have it right, you have this tiny rice grain chip. And what are you, how are you going to confirm exactly what it is? You're going to want to start taking layers off it with, you know, very small amounts of uh, a corrosive. You're going to look at, you're going to be looking at it under a, a microscope. There's entire uh, shopping malls full of, of guys in China that, that do this all day long and in Shenzhen. Yeah, they have all of that stuff like... available. They can, within seconds, they can, they've got the microscopes, everything set up, ready to go. They do it all day long. So they're looking um, at, the, but they're looking at the logic gates, and then you've got to go like, okay, so here's the gates, here's what it does, here's the components inside of it. Even if they break that down, which is very difficult for most of us in the Western world, we don't have access to that unless you're at a university or something like that. You're going to spend a whole lot of time on it, and you might find out that it turns out to be absolutely nothing. So I think it's you know it's, it's a very difficult thing to to accomplish to actually confirm unless this is your specialty already you have the hardware you've done it before with larger things um but i think the solar gate types the like style chips the other you know larger chips on the bus are obviously something that has been confirmed and can be confirmed quite easily as opposed to you know this is this is a lot harder to, to work with yeah i guess that's the goal there's so much to, to unpack with this and i feel like it's definitely like once more information comes out we'll definitely be able to see there's just way too much there's <laughs> there's way too much spooky news at the moment and we haven't <laughs> been able to dive deep enough on on this and this is a big one so and, yeah. and and you can't you can't prove a negative so uh you can't prove that it didn't exist so <laughs> yep exactly just like um, jesus pray the day away yeah <laughs> So, so given that, what do you think about what do you think about stock markets like and people saying publicly that this isn't something they're susceptible to? Well, it's certainly if you were shorting a uh, supermicro, you'd be laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, I yeah. think if you were using that's what I'm referring to is that dip like that happened after this news was released and what you know what's occurred. Um... What top level, what top level government, or what top level people do you see that are still exploiting this for what it is, based on you know the facts that they're seeing presented? Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's fake news uh, to hurt stock prices of supermicro and related it's companies because it wasn't just supermicro that took a hit. It was you know Lenovo and probably Huawei and others that are following soon. Yeah, the, the BMC stuff is shared by multiple vendors that comes out of supermicro, um, but let's say that it is real and that you can exploit it and you've got you've got the magical toolkit that you need to uh to make use of it like if it does exist nobody's going to notice for some period of time there's going to be like a large window before anybody confirms it so and even if they do think about the way most um like data centers that are you know the shitty data centers uh, that yeah it'll be proactive nonetheless 
Yeah, like if you're running like a cPanel data center, WHM, selling websites, and you've got all these super micro boxes, guess when they're getting patched? Never. It's such it's such an infeasible attack, though. I mean, the why 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 would you attack a a big publicly traded mother components manufacturer with 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 super space grade space force quality kind of rice pebble kind of thing that it's infeasible, but but we're here trying to dissect how it is that we could make this happen, and we're never gonna we're never gonna get one of those little transistors or whatever it is that moves one or two bits across something that theoretically could. Uh, transmit data uh, over a covert channel, whatever, uh, whatever we want to rationalize. There's, there's no such thing. Um, there, there isn't. And what we're, uh, 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 and uh, at what point are we going to take as proof that it isn't there? Uh, I mean, uh, right now, Amazon is saying that uh, there was no such thing. Right now, uh, a lot of people are of corporations are saying there was no such thing. Um, and uh, we have a news organization that said that there was. So That's when, the interesting part, too, is like, what network when, when, are you not monitoring? Or where does this happen to where you can't pay attention to it, honestly? That's where I'm stuck. At the yeah. same time, uh, they're actually trying to act strategically to not actually have plummeting prices. The stock market actually, right after we've been hacked, you guys, they could be just saving face. I mean, I think uh, the end of the day is that, yeah, 29A, you're right. Like we just have to ignore <laughs> what it if and it's, go on. What if it was a supply chain? It was a targeted supply chain attack, but those servers were just supposed to go to like the government of who cares. Um, and accidentally, 30,000 servers all over the world with this device in it. Uh, magic. Infosec magic. We love drama. Go ahead. <laughs> Might as well be yeah. Uh, cool things. Uh, yeah, I feel like we should move on. We have a couple of other stories to cover. Uh, we can definitely talk more about this later on. Um, so the the next thing is Google Plus shutting down after cover up of the data exposing bug. So this one has been interesting too because it's similar. I feel in the way that it's been presented, um, because you know we've had high-profile stuff like Facebook lately, and uh, as well as this other accusatory tone of the super micro stuff. This yeah. is basically people writing about how Google is. Yes, yeah, so the start of this article is Google is about to have its Cambridge Analytica, model, and wow. it's saying basically that the third-party developers had access to Google, Google Plus info since twenty. Um, and Google discovered it and patched it. So they go into detail about how this works, and it makes sense because people have used um, Google's third-party apps forever since they've come out. And so the, there's obviously, you know, strong evidence and, and precedence for this sort of, uh, you know, vulnerability and people exploiting it. And there's obviously a reason to do so. But then Google puts out a policy. I mean, not a policy, a statement saying that they have not found any evidence of any developer aware of the bug that they had found in particular or abusing the API, and they found no evidence that any profile data was misused. Now, this is kind of like a, you know, like, you know, conflicting uh, evidence about 
about whatever this is. But at the same time, I was thinking about it like in terms of, I mean, everybody here has worked at companies that have found bugs and vulnerabilities that they have closed and, and, and they kind of have like an oh shit moment. Like when you realize that something's been wide open, like your FTP server, you know, for some reason it has anonymous login with all of your, you know, prod code in it, but then nobody's ever accessed it. And you can tell by the logs and you do all your searching and you don't see it. There's no rootkit, there's nothing going, there's nothing, there's no foul play that seems to be involved. But it's something that you're just like, oh god, like how did I let this happen? Um, it just it, that's what it seems like to me, and I don't know what you guys have sort of read about this to understand it, but interesting. I mean, it looks like there was the potential for abuse and access to information, more information than was agreed to be accessed by a, a third party. It's, it's definitely in, like in the same vein as Facebook. Like there's there was the potential of data of access to information, but not necessarily. It didn't necessarily happen ever. There's definitely Google Wave, Google Buzz, like all these things. Um, I, I guess at this point, with the uh, amount of people who use Google Plus and the threat that this served and the amount of money that it would cost to remediate it. I think this is just a good point where Google just go, you know what? Google plus is one of the failures that we've had, you know, that they've had a lot of non failures and this is one of the failures. So whatever. Right. And you might see things about that, but there are also things today that like pointed at Google's just dying after 20 years. There's not so much um, data collection that they can do anymore. Which is interesting considering they just launched like what the Google Pixel 3 and um, a bunch of other quote unquote smart home devices, where it seems at this point like they've far surpassed the point of being secure um, in favor of deploying data collection utilities and devices. But I mean, with their acquisitions as well, I think with, uh, you know, a certain someone found a. uh, a third party which had command injection through a semicolon. I don't know if they want to talk about that, but um, you know that was that was pretty pretty funny and pre- it seemed to be quite common the kind of way that that that, that happens. But um, I think Google have diversified enough through. Uh, obviously, their search engine is still the number one, uh, but through Google Cloud and through through other services, um, G Suite, um, Google Docs, all that all that shit. That's uh. Think, you know they're not going anywhere anytime soon. No, uh, but and, they are. They are at a point where they've. The, I mean, they've got the best. They've got one of the best security teams in the world, right? I don't know if it's the best, but yeah, um, project, bro. Yeah, shout out to uh, and yeah. uh, and the breach that they had was before GDPR. So this is before That's all. Uh, the the penalty for this would be two percent of their annual earnings, uh, which. Uh, but this is pre GDPR. Uh, so they uh, they withheld when they disclosed it under the old rules, uh, and under the old rules, that means that they may be subject to class action lawsuits. Uh, but none of the repercussions that uh, uh, and it's just a case of following the big breaches. You remember, Facebook just got breached in the billions and all of the author. Well, this was the best time since the breach was discovered uh, to convene uh, to be released in the news cycle by Google for something that happened a long time ago. Uh, and it was before 
all the penalties. Yeah, a, Friday after, a Friday afternoon story. Yes. Uh, so while Supermicro is happening, yeah, might as well uh, might as well let that Google Plus thing out as well. No one will notice. Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. Google Plus has always just been, I feel like, a data mining thing in general for most people, for OSINT researchers, because uh, it just tends to also catch a lot of your older Google profile activity, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> I've never seen any other use for it, really. Um, yeah. But anyways, um, the next story that we have here, we have a couple different bugs that are pretty interesting. Um, first one here is in uh, Microtic uh, routers, and it was basically a uh, some remote code execution bugs that uh, was remote, there was a remote code execution and a directory traversal bug. Um, basically allow people to do kind of whatever they want on the router to read files that are going through it. And also um, very specifically, there's a uh, like a buffer overflow in an sprintf function in a binary on the router. Um, and this uh, what we have here is pretty cool. It actually, points exactly to the um, parameter and everything in the code. So pretty neat. Um, but yeah, I guess do what you got to do to update these routers. I think um, there's a there's a clear indicator here that there's something wrong when this router is running PHP. And yeah. passing uh, those parameters, obviously, to um, printf. And I assume that PHP is compiled against uh, the vulnerable version of, um, like, libc or whatever. And yeah, yeah. I, I, or maybe it's just passing it on the command line directly to something else. But uh, either way, like, sorry, not the command, like, you know, it's passing a shell command. Um, it, yeah, if you have a look in the article, you can see it's like, yeah, percent s, percent s, percent s, percent d. Like, yeah. Like, what year is this? Yeah, it's literally format string bugs that people joke about. Um, wow. But yeah, I know there's, there's a lot of just, it, it, it's just, there's a lot of these two out there. Uh, there's, what is it? There's around four, almost 40,000 devices uh, that came up on Shodan. Um, it's pretty interesting as well. Yeah, um, uh, I'm going to call this one a backdoor instead of a bug. <laughs> it's just pretty, <laughs> and, and, and it's pretty, um, pretty balls out, really. To, to have like a like a format string vulnerability that's exploitable client side from an authenticated user uh, in in get parameters. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's a that's a that's a fantastic remote code execution backdoor right there. I, I think the directory traversal again is like just another common PHP fuck up. Like it's too easy to fuck up, and uh, I, I wouldn't call that a backdoor. I'd say that's probably just a straight up mistake. <laughs> <It's easy. laughs> yeah. Um, so the other one here, uh, let me grab it. Internet is very slow right now. Um, the one in the Cisco uh, digital network architecture software. Um, so basically, Cisco is, is saying that there is a severe flaw uh, in this. And what was it? Yeah, because earlier they did, there's a um, hard-coded credentials for the default admin account on this earlier this year. Um, and what is this bug? I just read this, too. Uh, I'm just trying to look. I'm looking. Uh, so the CV, there's a CV listed here, 2018-15386. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's saying that uh, it's CVSS3 rated at, like, 9.8. So 9.8, to get a 9.8 out of 10... Like that must be remote. 
like it must contain it must be a like it's a network vector um it it must allow for uh a privilege escalation or, or changed privilege scope um and a whole, like a whole bunch of other things to get it that high yeah. so I think that, that's pretty hilarious that's well like, it's more interesting is like what's the one thing that it's missing that it would make it a 10 it's yeah, because right. it's like over 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 ssl or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's like uh, it's, it's like i think the you know off the top of my head the last tens i can remember were all struts so yeah right yeah no this so yeah this one here um was uh, basically uh off bypass um and could directly connect to services yeah it was basically just remote admin stuff um to do management functions but yeah it's pretty serious um there's two of the bugs and there are Rolling out a patch. Um, yeah, there's no like public, um, like any public exploit for this specifically, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah, there was an SUID binary. Good stuff. Oh, nice. Um, SUID yeah. binaries. 20, yeah, God. <laughs> now, I the last one here, what was I? I was going to say, I believe there is a, a, a challenge within Pentest 11 on SUID vulnerabilities in the, uh, in the Unix patch. <laughs> Those okay. are a classic, classic. Um, the last one here I thought was awesome um, and interesting to see how it's going to get uh, implemented. But basically, California is banning the uh, basically a weak default passwords for things um, yeah, by 2020. Um, so basically- so they like, legislate like, away Mirai. It's just, Mirai's illegal now. <laughs> so, problem's old. Mirai's illegal? Well, I think it's gonna be interesting when we see the products that are legal everywhere except for <laughs> California. So, uh, however they yeah, label that packaging, uh, you know, like when you buy a used car, you can get a, a car that's California capable or one that's not based off of the emissions. Yeah. Standards. How much lead does it have in it? <laughs> yeah, um, no, definitely like that. The standard that I'm setting is, is definitely pretty cool, I think. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, the, the practice of this, how this is actually going to be implemented is going to be interesting because, I mean, it's the same as any other sort of broad sweeping regulation like this where, you know, anything that passes through, Cal uh, you know, California, like what about like, planes yeah. and airspace and cars and, and this password traffic. has been known to be insecure do you really want tsa like going through your devices checking for default passwords i don't think it's now, where are all the passwords here admin admin what is this 2003 like there's deriding you at the airport yeah. but i think as yeah. well there's like um it's been around for a while but there's totp modules like uh like for google authenticator for pam so you can have your SSH login, like generate you a terminal-based QR code, you scan it or whatever, you get the string, you put it in a YubiKey, and then you SSH in with a YubiKey, you know what I mean? Like there's mm -hmm. multiple ways to do 2FA on traditional, like more traditional ways that you think are like, oh no, this is just a password, this is just a private key. Like you can have a private key and a TOTP on your SSH logins or your web logins or whatever. Like it's, I don't think it's, uh, like that, it's not specifically like because these guys already have like Kerberos set up. I'm I'm sure. Well, I, I hope they. So I hope they do have like you know Curb set up. They have kind of um, as fintechs, you know, uh, radius type stuff going on. 
for VPNs and that. So implementing these extra steps into those, I don't think it should be that big a deal. And if it is that big a deal, they've already fucked up. And, uh, and I think that this is something that can be regulated and something that can be solved just by saying what the minimum base of, uh, we were just talking about TPM. So, uh, uh, what, what's cheaper than a TPM chip? What's, what, what's the, what's the minimum that we need for the hardware? And then we can easily implement things like, uh, certificates and certificate generation and public keys and private keys. Then it's all just academic. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, the, uh, relying on default usernames and passwords for services that are running as default on things like coffee makers, it would be nice to have something that generated a, unique ID and a unique key for that system. Uh, not not with grandma's password, but just a key. But I mean, we already have 802.1x that is not deployed as much as it should be. I mean, people should be pushing out like network level security for machines, having certificates on machines as well yeah. as, you know, then- I don't see how you're going to force like what some dodgy factory on the other side of the planet decides to do to, to stamp some cheap piece of shit electronics out of plastic for 30 cents and then sell it in California for $20. How are you and, going to uh, legislate uh, how they how they create those products on the other side of the planet? Uh, short answer, they don't. It's impossible. So I don't really see, I mean, is this going to affect engineers that, that develop things in the state of California? Or is it, does it affect like imports and devices from all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing how this goes, goes through, because this is a lot to control certain people. Like, what are the penalties? You know, what is that, how is it actually going to be enforced? Is there a regulating body now that's going to check default passwords on every single some, piece of hardware? Some kind of, uh, some kind of s default password stormtroopers, I imagine, with, with weapons, <laughs> uniforms. Or it's actually reactionary. It's just kind of one of those things where they only figure it out when they fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. No. Def definitely. This I doubt there's gonna be somebody with just like rock you and just like uh, you know <laughs> some sort of like burp or something and just go through every single uh, website in California. Like who knows? But yeah, um, definitely interesting. And just username compliance password check. Wow. Password police. <laughs> um, password cops. I don't know. That'd be a good job, actually. Password police. Yeah. Cleaning up these mean streets. <laughs> yeah, that's it for our news this week. Um, definitely a lot of interesting things have been going around. Um, I got some good reads in here. Uh, I guess I should read some awesome stuff. Um, yeah, I think we should get right into um, Sniff. Are you here? Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, Welcome. Um, yeah, uh, I'm really uh, excited to hear everything you have to say, I guess, about Pentester Lab. Um, but what, I guess, we can start off with, like, what what is Pentester Lab and what do you do there? Okay, so Pentester Lab is basically a platform to learn security and mostly, like, offensive web security. And I'm the founder of that uh, company. So I'm basically the person who like put together like the website, the exercises, challenges, video, and everything for Pentester Lab. 
That's awesome. So how did you, when did you start Pendister Lab? So I basically started uh, seven years ago. So a bit before that, I landed in Australia coming from France, uh, got a job and I met like the organizer of Roxcon and he got me to like run a web training there to teach people like offensive security. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having like all these exercises that I created. I spent like days and nights putting them together. And I ran that training for like 20 people. And I thought after that, like, it would be good if I could share that with more people. And that's basically yeah. how it started. So um, Pentaslab uh, has sort of come a long way from uh, downloading, you know, ISOs and, and sort of running them and trying to attack it. Um, now with like the console stuff happening, like, you know, you can, you can do the challenges totally in your browser. Um, that's pretty, pretty sweet. Um, did you find that 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 was like, you know, the best way to sort of get people engaged quickly or, you know, like getting them into the browser quickly? So I did the, in the browser thing for two reasons is people who work like from, which are learning from their workplace don't necessarily can SSH to a box on the internet. So that was a way to bypass that. And it was working really well with my current automation. But I tried to avoid doing that too much because the problem is that I found with some learning platform is you do everything in their interface and then you get back to your laptop to do real testing and you don't have any tool installed, you don't have anything ready to go. So you're basically fucked. So that's why I'm trying to avoid. So that for, that was a good balance, but most of the time I'm trying to get people to install like Burp or to install like Ruby or Python when we need to write some script and stuff like that and do as much as possible on their laptop to get people to learn as well how to do that on their computers because you will be surprised by the number of people who think that to do hacking, you need Kali Linux. You can't do hacking from a Windows laptop or from just an OS X. You need Kali Linux. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a huge misconception a lot of people have, even though there's like what came before Cali you know, and backtrack, you know, even like it just, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot though that it's the barrier entry for some of the stuff, especially for some of the tools you have to run is definitely huge. Well, the, uh, even... the people that make Kali Linux have a vested interest in ensuring that um, people have the idea that you must use Kali Linux to do penetration testing. Um, because they have a certificate to sell. So um, with uh, uh, Pentesta Lab this year as well, you did training at DEF CON with, uh, with Bitcoin CTF. Um, how did that go? So, yeah, we did two workshops at DEF CON with Bitcoin CTF. Uh, amazing guy. You need to follow him on Twitter. He's running probably one of the hardest web CTF uh, around. And... Like it went amazing. So one of the training was on, one of the workshop was on uh, JWT, so JSON Web Tokens, and the other one was a code review. And I think people enjoyed the JWT a lot more than the code review one because it's more fun to own stuff than reading like boring code, especially the one I wrote. But yeah, uh, it went awesome, and we got some amazing feedback, and people re- yeah really loved it. Um, cool. So in the, in the lead up to like when you were starting out, um, Pantesa Lab, you mentioned that, um, you ran a training at RuxCon as well. Um, I guess over the time, a lot of these challenges have come from, uh, different things that you've seen as a tester. So, um, 
with your background, I know that uh, you were, were back in France, you were doing like dev stuff and dev training. Uh, how did you transition all that into uh, security and how do you think that helps make Pentester Lab uh, you know, a better resource? Uh, so actually in France, I was like, so I did like an engineering degree in like computer architecture and like most of the people I used to study with went to become like Java architects. And thankfully, I end up like doing security, and yeah. So from there, uh, I just like have a background as a developer from that formation, and I always enjoy like writing code and things like that. I usually, I initially wanted to be like an embedded system engineer, but then I end up like doing more and more security and enjoying it even more than embedded system. So that's why I was pretty confident I could write code and especially like vulnerable code. It's not too hard. Everyone is doing it. <laughs> it's true. Cool. So, um, the, so there's a, there's a free version of Pantesta lab, which I like, I recommend it to a lot of people who are like, Oh, teach me how to hack. I'm like, just go to this dude's website. And they're like, no, I don't want to pay. I'm like, it's free fool. Like just sign up and try it. Um, but what what bonuses like so like the free stuff is good. So what's the difference between the the free content and the pro content? So uh, a bit of history. So when I started doing Pentester Lab at the beginning, I wanted to just like sell ISO and uh, PDF, but I wasn't like I probably did two sales in like six months or eight months, and I was mostly looking at impacting more people. So then I started putting everything online for free. And more and more exercise and all of these are still online for free and two years ago i decided or three years ago almost now i decided to do like a paid version and i started adding like more and more like private exercise and still proving putting some free content online um but it's mostly like firstly online access instead of like downloading an iso uh, getting videos as well so you get to hear my nice french accent explaining how to hack shit and also like you got like more exercises and they are like better organized than the free version but i think for anyone looking at starting you should look at the free stuff and get an idea of the way i teach stuff because it's important to find the right fit and also if you're like a complete beginner and just like oh i'm a developer just thinking about getting into security you should check the bootcamp which is completely free and you just like link to the stuff you should read before getting into security because those are important concepts. I did like, uh, so, so I've run through, I don't know, maybe four badges of Pentest Lab at the start. I was going to do the whole thing, but you know, um, when I was doing that, uh, I noticed, for example, the, the XSS challenges in the beginner's badge. Um, I think it's five XSS challenges. Um, now, because I've done XSS once or twice, my same payload worked for all five. But if you take it back to someone who's just learning, um, it, it's easy to see that the first time, like the first challenge is kind of like, this is a basic XSS. This is how you do it. There's the video to explain it, the documentation that goes along with it. And then it sort of ramps up from like basic XSS, a little bit more difficult until, you, you know, the last one, which is, um, you know, slightly, slightly harder. Um, yeah, it sort of ramps up each go. So I think that that sort of can, you know, show uh, more impact uh, in there as well. Um, 
one of the, there's a few different things though that I, that uh, sorry a few different technologies that you that you showcase on. Is there uh, like what what's sort of the is it mostly web stuff you want to show off, or do you want to expand? Like how how far do you want to expand on the different types of shit to own? So I think I will probably mostly focus on web stuff because there's so much to cover still. I'm just at the beginning, I feel like, even if there are like 200 exercises. And for example, some badges, like um, the Unix thing, it's most of it was to be good at web, people know, need to have like some basic Unix knowledge. And without that, they can't do anything. Or it's so hard to get to the next step that they're going to need to learn something about Unix, about like common injection, about uh, basic Python, basic Ruby, basic Perl. So that's why I did more stuff in this direction. Same for PCAP. Like I realized that a lot of people don't look at HTTP request and response or don't know a lot about DNS. So I thought like, okay, I'm going to put together a PCAP badge. So this way people will learn that stuff and then they're going to get better at web stuff. I also do like a bit of Android at the moment because I think like they go, that goes well with web. Like I think it should be probably named like AppSec Labs more and more. It's more like Android, maybe iOS in the future and uh, mostly web. Cool. So when you complete the badges, you're talking about those, uh, there's, there's badges and there's a certain amount of challenges mm -hmm. in badges that have different difficulties. What, uh, what's the reward for the badge? What's a badge? What does gaining a badge get you? So you get like a certificate of completion, nothing as cool as the CL lowercase SSP for sure, but it's like keeps people motivated to keep going and yeah. It's just a way to put things together and get a little reward for people. They are just like PDF. Uh, people can print them if they want, but I think the goal is more to keep people motivated to see that they're achieving something more than a, a serious certificate. Because like, I'm not really big on certification. Like their limitation are so big that it can be annoying. Um. Are, you, are there CPEs that are earned for Pentester Lab? Yes. So if you do like stuff like CI SSP, you need CPE to keep your certification. So to do that, you need to say like, okay, I spent like five hours doing uh, Pentester Lab. The problem I have is I try to contact people from CI SSP and or from ISC too, and they told, they never get got back to me because I wanted to have something automated for people, but I don't know, they were not interested or something. And so it just to give an idea to people like, okay, if you do that badge, it's at least worth like few CPEs because that's the time you're going to spend on it. And that's part of the self self learning for people like trying to keep their CI SSP. You want to keep your CL SSP, uh, just do pen test for lab. <laughs> yep. Put it out there. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So, um, yeah, yes. Uh, so it's been going for a while now. Um, I mean, you do, I guess you've been involved with, uh, the CTFs at, uh, different conferences for some time now as well. Um, do you find that during like, like, do you find that sometimes when people are doing the challenges, um, they, they solve them in ways that you didn't expect or. 
Um, it happens. Most of the time, I try to have only one way to solve a challenge um, to avoid people getting lost. Because if you go to find the wrong direction and then you're missing one pivot somewhere, you're going to get really annoyed. So I try to have like only one way to solve them, aside from things like cross-site scripting or SQL injection, where like you have one way to solve it, but like so many different payloads are, are going to work. So I try to avoid that, but it definitely happens. Like people, like, yeah, people find ways around it sometime. Um, cool. So one of the, uh, there was one challenge that I found particularly uh, tedious because I I, uh, I didn't write a script to do it. So I, I did, the, the tests I did, I did mostly without any tools, like you were saying before, without Kali. Um, but one of the ones that was nice and tedious that I just did in the browser was uh, a Mongo, uh, like an SSJI with um, a regex on the password field. Yeah, this one is a bit annoying if you do it by hand. Like you basically yeah. need to brute force a UUID. Yeah, and like at the start, I was like, oh, this, this will be no time. I'll, I'll push through this. And I got about six characters in and I was like, I'm not even halfway. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine being a bit frustrating. Yeah, but I think that's um the kind of the kind of case where people should be going like, okay, um this this task is gonna take quite a few iterations to solve. Maybe I should write a few lines of you know Python or VB script or whatever the hell you want to write, um, to to make that a little bit nicer for you. Um and again, not just relying on those those Kali tools to to get there. Because I suppose at the end of the day, if you wanna be uh, you know if you want to be an internet hacker, you, you're going to have to be able to do things without tool sets, right? Yeah. So that's definitely something I'm trying to encourage is like, especially exactly what you didn't do is getting people to write small scripts, like things that are really simple. Because once you got like one script that does like HTTP request and some basic stuff like read from a file or things like that, you can get so much done when you're doing like web security or even just security or even just like playing with data and things like that. So, I mean, like people, some people in security just don't want to write code, but I'm trying to encourage that to like kind of force them to do it because it's so, so valuable. Yeah, that's a huge skill that like, I remember actually when we were doing Seesaw, um, that was like the first thing you did, uh, DNZ, was write, um, write a script to do that challenge that we were working on and it's like that's a skill that like i think separates a lot of people um like from or separates like i guess really good pen testers from people who are okay at it is just a willingness to be able to sit and like develop your own thing instead of being reliant on a specific tool that might do what you want to do um that's a really cool thing to try to like uh encourage people to do too yeah i think um today your average pen tester um there are a lot of pen testers that I've worked with over the time uh, are very much like regimented scan, run Nessus, start this script, do this script, do that script, get report out, you know, in as quickly as possible. Not necessarily, um, you know, find the most bugs. And uh, I remember a very jaded mm -hmm. pen tester mm -hmm. once told me while well, he was very drunk that, um, it doesn't matter if you find seven bugs or 10 bugs because you just find them on the next pen test. Who cares? 
Uh, that's how you get to recurring revenue. Uh. So in a video game, when uh, 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 when uh, when you go out of bounds or you go off of the intended path, because there's always one way that you prefer that this is solved. How, how do you show what's out of bounds, or uh, uh, how do you how do you make that self correction to uh, to push them toward the right uh, the right kind of tool for the solution? So. Um, I don't have this kind, this level of monitoring to tell like exactly what people are trying in real time, uh, because hard to set up and very intrusive. And but I think so. The idea for me for people like going through the course is more like you try on your own. If you can't find the solution, you check the course to see like okay, this is the general direction. This is what I should be doing. And if after checking the course, you just can't solve it, you check the video. So you have like really like how to do it and you get all the details. But yeah, that would be good to be able to have like, um, like in Excel is a little, the little thingy telling you like, okay, oh, you probably want to do that. And yeah. your payload for this SQL injection, like Clippy, right? And, but yeah, it's hard to build. <laughs> a clippy, but with a very heavy French accent. And <laughs> Thank you. Wow. It just pops up like... out, and out of nowhere. It just starts ranting at you about uh, HTML5 canvas parameters. Yeah. They're doing it wrong. Uh, I'll tell you, Clippy plus French will not sell well. <laughs> well more like well, what crowd. <laughs> what, what's, what is French for Clippy? I, don't, I can't even think. Is there a uh, word? Paperclip? Uh, yeah, paper, yeah. Um, I don't know how we call it in France. Thank God I didn't spend too much time in Excel when I was doing papers yeah. there. Uh, Steve, <laughs> uh, have you considered using like a collaborative kind of desktop environment, um, like cloud desktop? I guess is the word C nine that kind of stuff. No, not really. Like, um, I want to keep the uh, price low. So if I do something that is too involved, it's going to increase the price. So maybe that could be like a upper tier or something like that. But then it gets complicated for people, and like having like yeah. shared desktop maybe like pushing it a bit mm. too far, and then you got well, like security issue with that. And yeah, it seems to be a a, a challenge for like one on one mentoring uh, with pen testing. How do we connect people together and work in the same environment. And it's not just for uh, CTF or training or anything like that, but actual live testing um, across teams is very difficult. Um, yes. Even some just... things have changed. We have like, uh, we have both enterprise now. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe things will change. Yeah, I was about to say, even just sharing data between your scans and stuff like that, or even just like, Agreeing on a sitemap to say like, okay, I'm going to test that part, and you're going to test that part of the website. Yeah. It's just like not a solved problem yet. Yeah, yeah. difficult to do that kind of thing. Like uh, one of the things that I was wondering was how actually it was kind of completely off topic from this, but it was how do you actually develop these sorts of challenges and things for different skill levels? So this is the kind of thing that like. A lot of us here, like we, we we're doing our, our live CTF um, stream, like a marathon um, in a month or in a couple of weeks, actually. And we, there are certain people that 
like have made their own challenges and they're trying to pick their own stuff for them to do on the air. But I've been trying to like, for certain people that are asking if we could, because we've developed some of our own like CTFs and things like that. But how do you go about actually developing these sorts of things to make it so that it's not too insane for somebody who's just starting out, but also like gradually, like how do you gauge like, you know, the skill level and how do you actually tailor towards that kind of thing? So the good thing when you're doing um, a course as opposed to a CTF is you can give more hints to people with the course, where if it's only a CTF, it's a bit harder. Um, the idea, I think, is having a lot of them and making sure that they're not too easy. Like, as you said, like if they're too easy, people will just get bored and stop playing. And if they get too hard, people will just get discouraged and just stop. So... For me, the idea is I got a lot of them, so it's easier, and I put them by difficulty, so you can just say like, okay, I'm going to, from that step to that step to that step. But yeah, it's that's is a really hard part about it is finding the right balance between too hard and too easy, and yeah. So like, um, if if I was a absolute scrub, which I am, um. You know, if I were, or, you know, where would you expect me from on, on a scale of, uh, you know, um, D&Z to Halbar, from going from nothing, where would you expect me to come out at the end of, of Pentestal Lab? Definitely not Halbar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think it depends on uh, how you go about it and what you do. So you can get a lot of value or very little value from a course, regardless of what you're learning. Like some people are just gonna watch a video and brute force the answer instead of trying to understand like what's happening and learning something. They just want to see like, oh, I finished that exercise, I finished that exercise, I finished that exercise. So it depends on what you learn from it. If you try to understand like the concept or just focus on finishing exercises. But I think, um, someone finishing everything on Pentastolab right now will probably be like a good AppSec person, that's for sure. Like a good web tester, a good bug bounty hunter, and yeah, and do pretty well on those. That's an interesting thing you bring up, uh, the, the bug bounty aspect, because I find that um, bug bounty hunting takes a different approach to your, your, your pen test or your application security stuff. So is that something that you're sort of... Um, uh, taking into account that, you know, the bug bounty guys are going to be also learning from this material? Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. I think they're going to learn from this material. So especially, like, I think we have the best, uh, I have the best set of exercises for JWT. Like, definitely, if you spend your time on Pentestal, do, like, all the JWT exercises, then you're going to find stuff in bug bounty. And... I'm going to also add stuff like uh, OAuth, things that are really valuable when you're doing like bug bounty testing. And I think it depends on what you're doing about bug bounty as well. If you're looking in uh, in depth, um, I think being at the level that someone would go through Pentestolab is will definitely help you. And if you look in breath, you may find like bugs in certain things that people who didn't test because they didn't know about those and Pentestolab will help as well. I can definitely say that uh, I have 
uh, exploited JWT thanks to Pentest Uh I don't know if you know uh, Shab as well. Uh, he found one of the JWT exercise. So he learned it from the platform a few years ago, like two years, I think. And then he went uh, with that in mind to test stuff. And he found like a bug that got him like a few Ks. Uh, yeah, nice. pretty quickly. Jobs on the stacks. Cool. So, um, say so 200 exercises right now. There's a lot of stuff. I think, um, but some of the stuff that, that's more difficult in there, I think there's probably, um, uh, the broken cipher with the ECB. Oh, that's still the easy stuff. Uh, the really hard stuff, I think, where people, have a lot of trouble is uh, we got an exercise on um, ECDSA um, when you use like a non-random K. So basically that's the attack that was used against the PS3. Nice. And the thing is that it's part of the CTF badge, which is a badge where there is no information. So just to get people to really like learn on your own, I have like a badge named CTF badge and it's like, yeah, go and figure things out. It's like Kind of the idea is like teach a man, uh, give a man a fish and you will feed him for a day or teach a man to fish and you feed him for the rest of your li his life. Same idea. So this one is really, really hard because, yeah, you need to work out what the attack is, how to exploit it. And it's like, it's not just DSA, it's ECDSA. So you got some little gotcha there as well. And yeah. And it was actually a CTF challenge at RaxCon, I think, two or three years ago. Very nice. So yeah, I guess um, I guess there's a lot of people that I've spoken to, well, not a lot, maybe a few people uh, that I've spoken to recently, um, who currently think that they can, you know, they're they're good enough to get hired, but are having problems get breaking into it as pen testers. Um, like, how do you think people will? You know, do you think this will sort of by doing the course, curve them into being more employable or just, just better hackers? Um, I think both. So what, let's start the other way, is what I'm not providing is a certification to say like, oh, you're a good hacker or you're a good AppSec person. But what I'm providing is the knowledge you need to be one. So basically, if you go to an interview and you get like an interview with someone and you start talking about stuff and you start talking about the exercises and like, oh, for example, JWT or SQL injection or ECDSA or ECB, CBC, all this stuff you're going to learn. I think you're probably going to smash the interview if you understand, you understood everything uh, during the training, definitely. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I've, uh, definitely. Like, I think the one question I've never had answered correctly is... Uh, how does a CSRF work? And I've asked that question many times. Yeah, it's really hard. Like, yeah, people miss it. Like I spend like years and years interviewing as a man interviewing people as a manager. And yeah, like CSRF and crypto are like the two things that people uh don't get right most of the time. It really blew my mind the first time I I encountered uh, uh, an experienced pen tester, credentialed penetration tester, who didn't understand what CSRF was at all or how it worked. Um, and I realized that there was a very fundamental gap in, uh, 
in a lot of senior pen testers with quotes around around it in their knowledge of how how internet applications work. Um, if they don't understand something as fundamental as as how requests are formed and authenticated at the server side, um, that we're in big trouble. Um, that's amazing that uh, that's that's still an issue in 2018. But hey, we've already spoken about it today. We're finding like format string bugs and default credentials in 2018. So, yeah, I actually did like um, a talk and a paper on CSRF in 2007. And at the time, it was pretty cool because people didn't know about it much. And we found like bugs in a blog post where anyone visiting my blog will post a comment or yeah. could like get people to send email automatically on uh, OWA, like OWA's yeah. uh, Outlook Web Access. And what year was, uh, was the semi worm on uh, MySpace? When was that? Yeah, that? yeah, same time as well. Like, yeah. And, 2007, 2008. Yeah. And uh, people still don't get it. It's amazing. And they're not going to get it. Like uh, people are using applications on mobile devices now, so they can't even like they can't even they don't even see cookies or any of that stuff anymore. Uh, it's all say, in the background. On on the topic of mobile devices, um, our good friend Simon, uh, he did have an XSS in his in his app, and and, and he. Uh, That's a filthy a lie, and you know it. You're going to go to court. <laughs> He's going to sue you if you say that. Well, sorry, he, go, he go ahead. He, I was just saying he thought it wasn't a big deal and uh, he has many credentials to, to back it up. So if, if someone with many credentials couldn't identify that as a significant vulnerability and uh, on a mobile device, it's a, I guess that's a little bit of a gap there that, that could be explored. Yeah. I, I don't know. Didn't he make it like a secure browser that surfs, surfs the garlic network or something? I don't remember. Something like that. Uh, anyway. So um, Pentester Lab uh, time, like if you were to, so a lot of students often uh, say, you know, like I've got uni every single day, like I've got college every single day and I don't have time to do self-study. Like how much time would you expect sort of a, a student to invest in Pentester Lab to get significantly through it? Like how much time does it really take? Ideally, you would spend like, least maybe four or five hours a, a week but i think that's the way to have like to learn something ideally you would do that more often maybe like an hour every day but i think if you yeah start doing four or five hours a week you get like a lot of value out of it um and so with the the payment mode is it a subscription module i don't know i've never paid for it i'm sorry <laughs> Don't say that. Uh, yeah, no, it's a subscription. So it's monthly subscription and, or you can go yearly. And we have also like a, a promotion for student, students. So instead of being like 20 bucks per month, uh, US dollar, uh, it's like 35 for three months for people who like are studying. That's cool. So yeah, 35 bucks, make the most out of your time. Don't go and get drunk instead. And yeah. uh, you might but come out. But it's time to get directed for a school. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, for $45, for an extra $10 on top of that, you'll have the C lowercase L SSP certificate after three months. <laughs> yes. Good idea. Um, 
So, um, Sniff, I wanted to ask you, what are, so we're talking about, you know, things like JWT, CSRF, you know, XXE, all the different, I guess, more exotic bug classes that people might not know how they work. How, what, or which, which, uh, I guess, bug classes do you think are the least, they get the least attention, but have the highest impact? Um, least, it depends on whose attention, I guess. Like, probably like things like uh, deserialization bugs are pretty big, and not a lot of people are researching them or looking at mm -hmm. ways to do interesting things with them. Probably, um, I don't know, like, it depends between as well, like between pen testers and uh, bug bounty, uh, bug bounty people. Like yeah. um, people doing bug bounty will f spend their time on bugs that are gonna pay, whereas pen testers are more interested of covering everything. So different crowd, but I think definitely like serialization, and even if it, like it got a lot more attention in the last three years. Uh, I think it's still going to get bigger and bigger. I think um, the SSI bug that you uh, displayed for uh, the Python, is it in Ginger 2 maybe, the one that was disclosed uh, through Uber's bug bounty? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, that one was, um, I thought that was very, um, like that was a very different way to, to exploit it, to you know, use those unescaped template variables. Um, to get all the way through down to code injection. Like it wasn't a straightforward um, path, but it led to like a very straightforward outcome, you know? Yeah. I think one of my favorite is actually, it's not a pro exercise, it's a free one. It's a Muamuan code exec. So that was the wiki used by uh, Debian back in the day. And it's so such a nice bug. Like you can look it up and... Um, you basically have maybe you're creating a tar file and this tar need to be like a valid Python uh, plugin for Moamoa. And from that, you get code execution. And it's like, you don't have much room to do that. And you need to know a lot about Python to do it properly as well. It's an amazing bug, like check it out. Is it using uh, like direct Python bytecode rather than Python code code? No, proper Python code, yeah. That's cool. I find that um, the server-side, um, I guess you'd call it server-side request forgery, um, attacks against like local RPC services and and local endpoints in in, in stacks um, from client side. Um, that's a huge attack surface, especially on mobile devices. It doesn't really seem to get a lot of attention. We yeah, see it sometimes with like domain fronting attacks and stuff where um, somebody can override like local host and actually get it like a get it like a RPC interface to like a Bitcoin wallet or something on someone's desktop. Yeah, um, um, like the electron electron vulnerabilities. Yeah, but actually that's one of the way to exploit CSR, CSRF as well. Like I was yeah. working on back in the day, but yeah, but all these stuff yeah. are pretty cool. Like yeah. Well, I think I think the yeah anybody that's that was working on beef like ten years ago, their head must be spinning now how how little we've progressed from back then, um, until now, and yeah, and 
<laughs> how little has improved. But then I guess that that's always true in security. Um, and we just have to get used to it and <laughs> try not to get too jaded. But I, th I think there's a lot of um, people who don't put value in some of the bugs like XSS uh, or oh, even sure. deserialization. Um, so like you mentioned, like, so for example, um, I was able to get a UDP broadcast for Python um, unpickling, which is a deserialization attack um, to a process running as root on three and a half thousand routers. Like that was an insta, like that was disclosed to the ISP. It was found in a lab, blah, blah, blah. But um, like, that's the kind of bug where it's like, whoa, if somebody had have just looked there for the five or six years that was in the wild first, um, you know, that's, that's definitely something. Um, some other things as well, like um, with deserialization, like I remember finding one deserialization bug in a Microsoft stack and it wasn't very, um, it wasn't very exciting. It was an underprivileged login uh, that was posting JSON, but it was creating a stack trace and the stack trace was viewable by the admin and there was an XSS in the stack trace. Um, awesome. So by, by, by getting my payloads, uh, my, my JavaScript payload and chunking it and playing them in reverse so they would be displayed in the opposite order for the admin to view them, um, I created a, a CSRF um, request that reset the admin's password. So from an underprivileged user on a different domain, I was able to reset an admin, like the admin password, like at the top level. So I thought that, that those kind of bugs, um, each one of them isn't that great, but altogether they were pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell about to Facebook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're going to see lots of like, uh, some of the, some of these things are boring, like these bug classes are boring, and the examples that you learn in a lot of CTFs or labs or whatever um, are not very exciting, and and they have CVS scores that reflect that. But when you chain them together, a bit of this and a bit of that, suddenly XSS to RCE <laughs> isn't just a joke anymore. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I think, it actually occurs. And I think this is where the um where like these, these uh, Pentester Lab, you know, uh, explanations, I guess, learning how each of them work, like you were saying, as opposed to just completing the challenge, um, would give you that, you know, those ideas to chain them up, to put them together, how yeah. they work, how they work together, rather than these, like, oh, finish the challenge. Yeah, these, these fundamentals are pretty important. And um, especially if you want to, at some point in the future, find your own classes of bugs, um, kind of need to know how to, to chain bits and pieces together in AppSec world. Definitely. What's the uh, policy on broadcasting or streaming uh, content from Pentester Lab? So it's a bit complicated. So I'm trying to get to avoid people to like, um, so people can, if they want, like solve like the free exercise and put that on YouTube, as long as it's not like for commercial purpose, like I don't want someone to like take my content and create their own YouTube channel to promote their own stuff and get money out of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, which kind of makes sense to most to most people, but most, not all. Um, one of the things I do is like for the free content, if you like at a uni or something like that, or giving like running a workshop feel free to use it 
Like I haven't put like, if you look at the from SQL injection to shell exercise, you haven't got like a meetup link and it's those are slides ready to go to do a presentation. So you can go like organize a meetup and use that exercise to run and the slides to run the meetup and to like teach people basic and screen injection. As long so, as it's a free meetup and you're not making a dollar money from it. So we're sorry, go ahead, Rimi. Sorry, yeah. Uh, Thug Crowd is doing a 24 hour hackathon here actually in less than a month, right? I heard of it. Yep. So it would it would be great to maybe get an exercise, uh, your permission to do one of the more advanced exercises on that stream. That sounds great. We, we, we can even organize like a pro exercise if you're interested or even like multiple like free one or just one pro and multiple paid I'm one, not, whatever, whatever I, you feel I'm like. I'm not a pro. I'm not a pro personally. <laughs> oh, even if you yes, like baby. But that sounds awesome. That's wonderful. Thank, thank you. Even if you need like specific challenges, I can work on them and build them if it helps. So that should um, be really cool. You did just we'll we'll talk about it after the show. You, sounds good. You, you did put out a, a new. Was it today? You put out a SQL to Shell three. Yes. Yeah. Nice. So how often are you putting out new content for people? So I try to put new content like videos and new exercises uh every week so at least like at least one new at least two new videos or two new little challenges or one big exercise every week and, uh, and more in, fun if possible and that's covered yeah. in the existing fees so if you're already paying yeah you new stuff for free what, yeah so that's really simple it's like you pay to access it and if you finish all the exercise in a day or a month, good on you. If you need more time, you need more time. And yeah, there is no like, you don't pay per exercise or per badge or per challenge or something like that. It's zero or one. Like either you get access to pro or you don't. And when you get access, you get access to everything. That's awesome. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely a resource that, uh, that I find. Yeah, that's where I send it. Like I just, I always go like, go look, go look at Pentest Lab. How do I hack Facebook, bro? Just go look up Pentest Lab. Like, <laughs> you might learn. Um, so yeah, actually, somebody just said, does Pentester Lab accept Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrencies for payment? Yes, uh, I accept. I got some payment through B Bitcoin already. Yes. That's and awesome. I, yeah, I accept Ether and Tezos as well. <laughs> <laughs> if you have some what about those uh moneros those XRP, yeah, xmls uh if i can find a wallet for those <laughs> um so do you so you've branched you, you've mainly focused on like independent people who are trying to continue their education oh uh, no we have enterprise as well Okay, that's what I was wondering is, is what your what that is actually kind of like because i mean i feel like there's a lot of people who uh, want to try to ask their their companies to pay for them to do some sort of training, whether it be for actual offensive, um, you know, like app stack stuff, or even just basic like you know code like code bashing or some of those sort of like coding secure coding training things. But yeah, what what sort of things do you offer, I guess, for companies that might be interested in this sort of thing? 
So exactly the same thing, basically. Uh, just same content with like a nice enterprise UI to manage accounts and things like that. Because like a lot of enterprises need to learn as well. And I got like pretty big clients who just, yeah, need to train their people, either like their security team, their pen test team, their AppSec team, or even like their security champion or something like that. So, yeah, uh, that's awesome. so just back on the uh, topic of uh, running training courses at conferences and stuff, if my company wanted to get you in to, uh, to run the training course, is that something you do as well or just online? That's something I used to do. I haven't got it, got to do it in a while, but that's something I can definitely, yeah, look into if someone is interested, but I like the uh, I like the fact of doing things online and scaling them, like impacting as many people as possible. Yeah, hell yeah. But uh, so yeah, so you pretty much uh, major cities in Australia you can uh, do quick deals with, head out there, give a training day, come back home. Pretty much, or even further if possible. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, did you want to? I mean, you were talking about a little bit about like what you wanted to expand to do too. I was interested in, in like what you would want to do in the future because you had you had mentioned doing like uh, embedded things, but are you looking to do more like anything to do with IoT or sort of embedded anything, industrial control systems, etc. So the problem with IoT and like ICS and stuff is it's kind of hard to like do something real good enough. Like that's why something I really don't want to do is do simulation. I really want like the real thing. And yeah. that's why I love web so much. And that's why nothing is emulated. It's like real bug with like real vulnerab vulnerabilities, not like a yeah. fake thing. Uh, so IoT and ICS make it hard. And I really think like there is already so much to cover for web stuff. And it's so important that people get good at web stuff. Even if mm -hmm. like a lot of people find it boring, but I I want to spend my time on this and make it like the, make the best platform I can probably put together just for that. Absolutely. And um, I just have another question: Is is Ruby the best language? <laughs> so Ruby is definitely the best language for me. <laughs> it's because you think in French. Maybe. Yeah. Now I think like a lot of people ask me that like. I got a lot of questions from people learning and starting in security. So what's the best language? And I'm like, just pick one or two or three or five and just write 10 lines and pick the one that you're the most comfortable with. Just don't listen to other people telling you like Python is the best, Ruby is the best, C Sharp is the best. Just like pick one out of like five because you like the syntax and you will be happy writing code in that language and then write a lot of it. So short answer is learn all the languages. All languages. Yeah. So with a twist, my, I think what you should do is learn one really well and then learn by comparison with that uh, language instead of trying to learn too many at the start. You should, you should learn to uh, pop an alert box in every language. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a wiki yeah. for that. It's all about that console <laughs> log, baby. 
Um, Russian cowboy elite in the chat asks, "What is your go-to Phoenix?" <laughs> Sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh, Russian cowboy in the chat here, uh, stream chat uh, asks, "What your go-to like distro is operating system?" Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, so mostly running OSX these days because I'm old and I need to do videos. Um, okay. I used to be like a Gentoo guy. I used to be an Arch Linux guy. I used to be uh, a Ubuntu guy. I tried everything, and I think it doesn't really matter. Get like same thing. Like get one, get good with it, and just move on. Yeah, absolutely. And, because I think if you want to work in security, you want to understand how the distro works, how to make it secure, but you don't want to spend your time like learning 20,000 distro and yeah. You don't uh, you dive too deep on one particular language or distro or architecture and five years later, everyone's doing something else and you're still hyper-focused on that. Like you could be the best Perl coder in the world right now, but you'd find it hard to get job as a uh, security expert. <laughs> yeah, almost some people like who are the only one who understand like some system are trying are starting to make good money from it because no one else wants to touch them. But yeah, and regarding like back to the Linux distro, if you want to focus on something, try to look at the Windows manager and try to get one you really like and that works really well for you because your goal as someone doing security is to be really effective so you can test more, you can learn more, you can research more. So get mm -hmm. try to to spend time working on your productivity and get a setup that works for you and where you can be really efficient. And don't spend that's too really much time going point. to your mouse. That's a very that's a very Emacsy kind of answer, but it's a good answer. <laughs> oh, I'm a Vim in... guy. Well, <laughs> I've, I've never seen you personally use it, so I'm getting a bit suspicious. That was a good answer. I think uh, as well, like it's a good point, like with uh, embedded stuff specifically, if, if you're using a router as your, your jump off platform and it just has BusyBox and it's not even the whole BusyBox, you've just got like SH and Netcat maybe, or maybe not even Netcat, like you should be able to still get stuff done. Um, maybe not, you know, to the level just, of if you have just, a full Just with SH? Like, just with SH, did you say? No, just with BusyBox. So, like, you know, you have the basics, LS, CATs, and net, maybe NetCat and, and some other stuff. WGET. You get a new operating system. Okay, cool. And no, same, thing, same thing with text editor. You should, like, learn one and stick to it, as long as it's yeah, not nano. As long as it's viable. Ooh. Right. This is nano. a very spicy podcast today. Very spicy. He's taking no. shots of me. <laughs> shots of being all over the place. So this is very uncharacteristic of the French. They usually hide underground. Spaces are tabs. Spaces. <laughs> yeah, spaces make twenty percent more money. It's true. Sorry. So the that what you're saying though is a really good point that a lot of people I feel like miss out on because it, it's easy to especially when you're new newer to really be into like you know uh, like what they call like rising and, and you know trying out different os's different window managers and stuff but that stuff is really valuable because you end up understanding what works yeah. exactly for you like if you like i i have literally written an entire suite of custom vim and uh sublime text themes 
that I just are good for me and my eyes and they're you make me more productive. And like people sometimes think it's just a waste of time. And a lot of people tend to sometimes view that. I've seen that the sort of like like, you know, why you spend so much time like, you know, making your desktop look perfect and yeah. everything, you know, all the hotkeys going. But if it makes you more productive and faster, it, you know, it's valuable in the long run to spend like six months developing what's it's- perfect for you. I, I agree as well, um, and I think it applies to your like physical desktops in real life as well. Some people spend a lot of time organizing shit on their physical desktop and making it immaculate, and other people have crazy messy de- desks, um, and that works for them, um, depending on what you define as productive. Um, yeah. so, uh, but you can go too far. You can go too far in that direction, and, uh, and yeah. you become obsessive-compulsive about it, and you don't actually get any work done. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, Jekyll Nine's really asked in the chat uh, for Sniff, um, what is your favorite all-time vulnerability? Well, um, that's a hard one. Um, um, so the more more bug in the Debian wiki was pretty good. Um, there are so many. I think I really like directory traversal as part of the URL when you have like an architecture with like multiple level of proxies and you end up like accessing stuff that you shouldn't have access to, like stuff that you can't even get to with a browser because your browser will do like the normalization of the path before sending the request. So imagine like get space slash dot dot slash dot dot slash manager slash html and you get access to a tomcat manager that wasn't exposed i think i like these kind of bugs a lot and uh what else so i think uh, phf.cgi would have to be your number one vulnerability because that's just space at the end of a url and then put commands here to execute as root yeah uh yeah and i don't know you can do it from netscape navigator Not that old. Mosaic. What about what about backspace twenty eight times? I mean, uh, that's got to be a favorite. Yeah, and I, I'm really a big fan of chaining bugs as well, and getting them to like getting like to like from low hanging fruits to something really cool that no one thought about or no one like put together. I think uh, yeah. a good name a good name for that would be uh, insecure indirect object reference rather than direct object reference you have some really weird path that allows you to get at someone else's data double yeah. idol. i think we just coined it double idol <laughs> heard it first here i i i i i or hmm. <laughs> awesome so yeah does anybody else have any we're, we're we have about five minutes left here is anybody in the Twitch chat or in the here or in our, our Discord have any questions for Smith before we go? Yeah, so I just a quick question. What, what do you what do you think are some necessary must have tools for uh, web websec, appsec, pen tester? You know, paid or free, just just your quick shopping list. So you mostly need like a browser and I'd say a proxy either like if you can afford it. And I think 
if you're doing that as a job, you should have like a license for Burp, Burp Pro. Even if it's not your main proxy, you don't want someone, you don't want like someone who has access to it and is just a beginner to find bugs you may have missed. But like METM proxy and uh, Burst are really good proxies as well. And I'd say like a text editor and some interpreter like Python or Ruby or whatever you feel confident with and Git. That's about it. I think that's the minimum you need. Then you got a lot of tools around it, but it's more like, yeah, good to have that really must have. That's a that's a pretty uh, cheap cheap list, right? Just just burp, pretty much. I mean, well, and you don't you don't really need burp. I mean, you, I understand the argument that especially if you're doing it as a professional or an auditor or a C non lowercase L I S whatever. Um, if you're just uh, learning or you or you want to start out like bug bounty hunting. Um, it is possible to use like Zap and a few other things and get sort of close to the same amount of coverage. Or oh, even just, yeah. Or oh, Arachne is not bad either. But yeah. yeah, it takes a lot of time to run. But yeah, you got a lot of free tools. And I think if you just want to do bug bounty stuff, you probably can do everything by hand with just like any proxy and a browser because mo most of the time you're not allowed to use automated scanner. Everyone is doing for, it, but for, for those kids that, that can't afford laptops out there <laughs> and and do everything on their phones, uh, these millennials, uh, I think they're called. Uh, what do you recommend they would use? Um, I don't know. Like I haven't done it, so I wouldn't be the best person to give advice. I would probably recommend to get a keyboard for the phone because <laughs> otherwise you're going to waste so much time typing. What stuff. about the the hackers out there right now that uh, are listening to this on their smart television, how are they going to? How are they going to get started? So they can't afford a smart TV, but they can't afford a laptop. Public library, <laughs> you go to your public library and use your computers. Hell, if you have Cali, you can actually oh. definitely use your public library. So I think we all agree that only old people and homeless people use laptops and computers now. <laughs> the kids all use iPads and Androids and handheld devices and smart TVs. Yeah, I think if you want to get into like computers, not even like talking about like hacking, it's good to have a computer. That's it's probably you make a pretty good point. Um, so I have a couple questions from the uh, the Twitch chat. Um, <coughs> <laughs> just, are you are you okay? Is you okay? Yeah, I'm very good. I'm good. I am very good. Um, so. Someone says, I know the site is called Pentester Labs, but how do you feel your training will be valuable for a blue team? So really good question. Um, so I'm a strong believer but that if you want to do defense, you need to be good at attacking stuff. Like if you have no idea what people on the other side are going to do, like you're going to get lost every time something goes out of the script and you don't understand why they're doing that, why they're doing that. So I think having a good understanding of attack is really required, like regardless of who you are learning with or what you do, just like learn both. And a lot of people have this thing like, oh, I'm more builder than an attacker or breaker and stuff like that. Like most talented security people do both because that's so important. You need to know 
what defense you have, what defensive classic, uh, like normal system has, and what attacks people can launch against your system and how what defense are in place. And yeah, you need to do both sides to be good at this thing, I think. Yeah, I've seen some of the best pen, pen testers come from um, from admin backgrounds. They're just admins for a really long time and they'd seen everything, like every aspect of networking and engineering and application development and all of it, and then decided to specialize in, in security testing. Um, those guys tend to make the, the best red teamers because they've had so much blue team experience. And they know how people mess up or what people don't do because it's too hard. I should just get a fun fact. Someone linked uh, the the burst uh, like tweaks um, burst proxy in uh, in the chat. It was a fun fact. You guys work together, both French. Amazing. There's yes, some, something in the water. So we actually right. went to the same school as well in France. I think all French all French people are colluding colluding clearly they're they're working together on something i don't know what it is it's a french mafia but you can't it used to, uh... be, it used to be an empire but kind well, of collapsed. wasn't there isn't there a name for the french mafia a adm maybe uh, <laughs> uh, yeah association de malfaiteurs mm. yeah adm what is the national cryptocurrency of france right now the white flag <laughs> I'm, no, I'm serious though. Is there is there a crypto that's specifically developed by mostly French people that's doing uh, really well? I think there is. Uh, so French French speaking people, yes, I think. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not really in touch with France anymore, unfortunately. So can you just share with you think us? French with us uh, Sorry. You guys got two things on us. You got the havoc. You got the havoc firmware for pretty much the hacker F, and then also you have Mastodon. It's the two most notable things I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, Mastodon. Yeah, that's a big one. And PeerTube, and QueerTube. I'd like to though ask uh, Sniff what you did last weekend. What did you build? Ah, oh, that's a really Australian thing. So I built a, sur a surfboard. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's more Australian <laughs> than me. Isn't it? Uh, is it warm enough to surf where you are right now? It's always warming up. You got like yeah. headache for the first five minutes, and after it's gone. Yeah, suppose if you take enough, if you take enough MDMA, you can surf pretty much all year round. Yeah, <laughs> keeps you warm. So the last question I want to ask you uh, was from the chat as well. What is the stupidest vulnerability you've ever seen? in your opinion? Uh, I don't know. Um, that's a hard one. Uh, stupidest. Mm. Mm. I I really have no idea. Like, yeah. Um, Command injection. Uh, I guess the stupidest response to a vulnerability maybe is like, I once found a cross-site scripting, reported it as part of like pen test work and so the guy said, okay. Uh, so I told him, like, you need to encode stuff. And he was like, oh, okay, I'm going to remove, like, every code, every script from the URL, from the parameter. I said, like, no, you need to encode it. And we spent, like, back and forth for, like, five, six times. And 
every time he was putting something in place and I was finding a bypass and putting something else in place and I was finding a bypass and at the end he just gave up and like properly uncode everything but yeah that's probably the stupidest response I got but most <laughs> of the time like after like when you look at a bug I like bugs that look really obvious on someone found them but like hundreds of people looked at them or didn't look at them or didn't think about it and then like someone pointed out and it's like oh my god this is there and no one thought about it i like bugs like that yeah yeah i think coming at something from an unusual angle uh is always uh i don't know it's amusing especially if it's one of those kind of bugs where you just assume somebody must have thought of it before um and and you and you explain it to a developer and they go no that's that doesn't that's not going to work clearly that's not going to work and then you show them and they go holy shit i think those kind of bugs are cool yeah <laughs> like we were talking before about uh uh firing xss in was it like a log file or a console or something things yeah, he was talking trace, about yeah. Yeah, stack trace <laughs> <laughs> some of the some of the conditions that that like Nappy's found XSS firing client side uh, are pretty bizarre. But hey, go surfing the entire internet and inject XSS in like every possible header and location um, in your in your client, and and leave a listener running for a while. You're going to get hits coming from all over the place. Um, if you just if you just broadcast like a, a URL across the internet on the wires, eventually something's going to hit that URL. Very strange. So hey, we should uh, get going. It's um, 11:30 here on the East Coast in America. Uh, right. So yeah, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about Pentasoil. I definitely want to check it out more. I encourage everybody here to try out some free stuff and hopefully uh, really build your skill set something as awesome as this yeah thanks for finding me uh, where can anybody reach you if they are looking to ask you questions or sign up or having so they can just email me like so either on twitter like um twitter.com slash pentestolab or slash sniff whatever you prefer and otherwise louis at pentestolab.com and yeah Awesome. Thank you very much. And thanks everybody for uh, coming and hanging out for all two hours. And yeah, so um, as we said before, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Thanks to everybody who contributes here, everybody who's chatting. Uh, if anybody wants any more info, uh, we just posted on Twitter about the CLSSP cert. So that's available to all um, $10 plus Patreon supporters and guests, including your sniffs, if you can get one. Um, hang on your wall and it will never get removed because it will self-destruct so um but yeah thank you everybody and tune in next week we'll be here uh we still have a couple of slots open for our ctf marathon um it's all coming together now in discord so if you're not a part of our discord uh go to hug crowd on twitter you get our link to join and um, so yeah until next time thanks everybody bye-bye thank you bye Peace. Bye.